The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmakerplatform.com. These are the Writer Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Cal Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. Jonathan Gottschall is the author or editor of seven books, including The Storytelling Animal, a New York Times Editor's Choice selection and a finalist for the LA Times Book Prize. And most recently, he published a fascinating book titled The Professor in the Cage, Why Men Fight and Why We Like to Watch. As a distinguished fellow at the English Department of Washington and Jefferson College, his work lands at the intersection of science and art, and it's frequently covered in outlets like The New York Times, Scientific American, The New Yorker, Atlantic, and NPR. For his latest book, he actually went into the world of mixed martial arts to research violence, masculinity, and why society is attracted to violent spectacle. Join us for this two-part interview. In part one of the file, Jonathan and I discuss how drugs can boost your productivity, why writing 365 days a year may not be ideal, and the sad reality of writer's block. Mr. Jonathan Gottschall, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to wrap with me on the Writer Files podcast. Thank you for having me on. I, I, uh, I'm really interested in this. Um, I didn't know about your podcast, and I, I can't wait to subscribe to it. Well, I appreciate it. So I'd love to talk about you and your process as a writer. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of your work, especially um, the storytelling animal and, uh, your latest, um, really, really great book, the professor in the cage. Um, and, uh, I'd love to, well, let's just say for listeners who may not be kind of familiar with your work and your story, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, yourself and your area of expertise as a writer? Sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, best known probably as a literary scholar 
who works sort of in the borderlands between the arts and the sciences. I use art as a sort of data that I can study from a scientific perspective. And I use, uh, and I try to understand questions about literature and art better by applying uh, scientific ideas and scientific methods. Uh, I wrote a book called The Storytelling Animal. That's probably what I'm best known for. And I recently came out with a book called The Professor in the Cage, which is a huge departure from the work that I've done in the past uh, because it's about my experience as a 40-year-old English professor trying to become a cage fighter. <laughs> and, uh, the book is sort of a memoir that tells uh, about my experience um, in fighting. And really, though, it's about using that experience as a, as a leaping off point and to ask all these sort of really big ancient questions about violence and uh, masculinity and why we uh, are attracted to violent spectacle as well. Yeah, I'm, I mean, The Professor in the Cage is uh, a truly amazing story. I mean, kudos to you for getting in the, in the cage. It sounds like you took a few lumps, but... Uh, yeah, it, I did, yeah. <laughs> I was still, still shaking them off, to be honest, about two years later. Wow, wow. So, so you're not presently fighting. No, you know, I was thinking about this just today, honestly. This thought was running through my head that the fight game is about breakage, you know? Yeah. It's a sport where... The, the fundamental goal is to break another man physically, to break him physically, to break him uh, emotionally, to break, his, to break him spiritually. Yeah. And uh, by the end of my process, I was thoroughly broken <laughs> in all of those ways. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I miss uh, my experience um, sparring and, and play fighting with my friends at the gym, um, but, it, but it is over for me. Well, it's an amazing book. Um... I do encourage writers to seek it out. I mean, it's so well written. I just connected with so many pieces of it. I think we're probably, we have to be around the same age. I remember finding the uh, UFC number one because my brother had recommended it to me. He was a big, oh. big fanatic of it at the time. And it was just like watching a car crash, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I owned that, I guess it was VHS cassette mm-hmm. um, for years and years and years. And it was just kind of a weird a weird thing to have. But anyway, it's great stuff. Amazing writing. Um, and where can Thanks. where can listeners find your writing out there? Oh, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Google. Uh, I, have, I have a website too, jonathangotshaw.com, where, you know, you, there'll be links to all, all of my, my stuff. Excellent, excellent. So uh, what are you presently working on? Well, believe it or not, I am at work on novels. Um, and I am actually full of anxiety about it, full of fear and trepidation because it's, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of gotten to the point where I feel very comfortable writing these nonfiction books. I feel like I know how to do them, but with the fiction, boy, I'm just, you know, I'm honestly not sure if I have it in me. And so, um, it's one of these projects that has a great deal of, I don't know, anxiety attached to it because I really, truly, honestly believe and know that I can fail <laughs> in a way that's kind of, you know, humiliating and damaging to my, my career. But, you know, it's one of those things where I, it's sort of like the same philosophy that guided me into the professor in the cage. I like this piece of writing wisdom that you hear quite a bit. Uh, it's, it goes something like this, that you write about what you're scared of. Hmm. And in the pro- pro- professor in the cage, uh, I was absolutely going in there to, to uh, tackle things that I was afraid of. And the same thing goes with, with the novel. You know, I'm, I'm going into it almost precisely in this per- perverted, twisted sort of way. <laughs> I'm going into it because I can fail, you know. Interesting, interesting. 
Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, if the quality of your writing translates at all to, to your fiction writing, I can't wait to check it out. Oh, thanks, dude. So um, let's talk a little bit about your productivity. I know you've launched some heavily researched stuff. And when you're working on a bigger project, do you commit um, a certain amount of time per day to reading, doing research, that kind of thing? I do sort of. You know, I don't have like some quota, but, you know, it, it varies by phase of the project. So as you said, you know, all of my books, including the fiction books, to be honest, have been really research intensive. And so the beginning phase for me is always a massive reading campaign where I always set the goal uh, to become basically the most knowledgeable person in the world about Mm. whatever my little subject is. You know, I don't necessarily always get there, but it's always the goal. I try to learn as much as I possibly can about the thing that I am going to write about. Um, And then in, uh, and so I'm reading a lot. My book, my nose is in books all day. I'm jotting notes Uh, But then in later phases, in phases where I'm uh, writing uh, more heavily, I don't read all that much because I'm just so obsessed. My mind is churning with the problems of the manuscript in front of me uh, that I just really don't have the mental capacity uh, to to read a lot. I I, I listen to some books on tape, but that's about it. Nice. So before you sit down to actually get clacking, do you have any uh, pregame rituals? You know, I was, I was thinking about that, and I, I honestly don't think that I do, unless you count uh, brewing coffee. Uh, so <laughs> sure. I never, ever, I was thinking about this uh, just the other day, I never, ever, ever work unless I'm on drugs. Uh, I am guzzling coffee yeah. uh, in the mornings, in the afternoons. Uh, I'll usually have some form of vigorous exercise, uh, partly because it's good for me, partly because I enjoy it, and partly it's because it stimulates my brain. I have a lot of 
good creative ideas uh, when I'm exercising. And if I work at night, you know, I usually have some drugs too. I usually have a have a drink or two to ease that process along. Nice, nice. So well, always, so yeah, I guess I'm always writing in an alter, at least a little bit of an altered state of consciousness. <laughs> it sounds familiar. I think a lot of writers do that. I certainly do. Yeah, I think so. Do you write every day when you when you finally decide to sit down and get going? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I write uh, 365 days a year if I can. Occasionally, you know, a kid will break an arm or something, or you know, I'll get sick and or I'll be traveling and I. And I can't work, but uh, yeah, I work you know pretty much every day. I work on Christmas, and this is nothing to brag about. You know, this is this is uh, this is pathological. Uh, I probably write better uh, and more efficiently if I took more time off. And you know, if you have a family and you write 365 t- days a year, you know, you're kind of a jerk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you should be chilling out and enjoying uh, your life a little more than I than I than I do. A productive jerk. Yeah. Do you schedule your writing sessions during the day or? I, uh, I try to fiercely protect the first four or five hours of my day. Um, I try not to schedule anything. My phone rings. I try to, I try not to answer it unless it's an emergency. Uh, the universe has granted me about three to five hours of quality, sharp writing time, uh, per day. And it's always in the morning for me. I can't, uh, as the day, wears on. I can feel my energy lessening. I can feel my IQ going down. You know, I just get, I get duller and duller until by evening time, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much spent. Um, but actually in, in terms of the writing itself, in terms of the ability to compose and, uh, you know, I'm pretty much done by early afternoon most days. So I protect those hours in the morning because, uh, they're fairly precious to me. Very nice. And are, are you working exclusively exclusively in an office, or do you um, ever get out and kind of like hit the coffee shop scene? Um, I will sometimes, in desperation, uh, leave the house, uh, leave the office, uh, go to the library, go to the coffee shop, uh, try to change my energy, try to change the scene. Um, overwhelmingly, however, I work at home uh, in the summertime. Uh, if I can, I'll work out on the back deck. Um, uh, other times, though, I work down in my uh, little dungeon of a basement office, <laughs> uh, which is really not a very good idea. It's not really, uh, really not, you know, the light's not good. It's probably probably catching depression down here. I spend so much time down here, though, that my uh, my children call me uh, a basement troll. They sort of <laughs> say that the, uh, the basement is haunted by a by a troll. <laughs> I see, I see. Um, so do they, do they send food down on the dumbwaiter and then... Kind of hope that it's no. I come up for food. I, okay. I, I'll come running for food, but uh, <laughs> otherwise, I spend a lot of time down here. And um, are you a writer who likes to put on headphones, do music, or do you prefer quiet? Uh, I, you know, I am very fussy about it being quiet. Yeah, so I have uh, earplugs. You know that I scatter all around the house. I have earplugs in my car. Mm. Um, I carry them in my wallet. So that if I do go to the coffee shop or the or the, the bookstore and you and you saw me in there, uh, you'd see these little blue or orange uh, plugs stuffed into my ears. Nice. Otherwise, I I just pay too much attention. I'll, I'll overhear the conversation behind me. I'll over I'll start singing along to the music. You know, I just can't keep my my narrative running properly in my head. Yeah. So, um, are you a writer that believes in writer's block? It doesn't sound like you do. Oh, well, 
Yeah, I believe in writer's block. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'd probably just had it last week, you know, for about a week where I was pretty miserable and kind of tearing at my hair and, you know, going insane. Um, <clears throat> I hear writers, some writers say that they don't believe in block. And I've always found that to be kind of a, kind of a, strange pose you know it sounds to me like the sort of pablum that you hear from self-help writers who say you know barriers only exist inside your mind (laughs) but you know i think you know sometimes you don't know where to go with a piece of writing and sometimes you do know where to go and the words just won't come i've certainly had that experience with bashing my head up against a wall and i think a fairly good description of that feeling uh is writer's block yeah yeah um, it probably, it, it deserves its own, uh, its own book. Oh, hasn't it been written? I'm well, sure it has. I'm sure it has. a good idea though. <laughs> the writer's block phenomenon. I just hear so many different, like varied, um, nuances of, of that. And it's, it's fascinating to me because I, you know, clearly it's something, but you know, whether yeah. or not it's almost like the, the, uh, Loch Ness monster or something. I don't know. To me, it's almost like. When I've heard people say that, I've almost wanted to accuse them of a lack of empathy. Because I feel like some writers probably don't feel it. Some writers are so fluid. You know, Joyce Kotaroitz has written, you know, 60 books or something in, in less than 50 years, or about 50 years. Um, that means that these sentences, these beautiful sentences and paragraphs and pages are kind of just falling out of her head. Yeah. You know, she's not struggling <laughs> that hard. Um, so she maybe, maybe she just doesn't know what it's like. So I think that, that could be part of it. You know, it's like, you know... I don't know, someone who's experiencing depression, you know, someone who's, who's in a sunny frame of mind might not even believe in depression as a, as a condition because they just haven't experienced it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but to me, I've experienced things that feel very much like writer's block. Well, let's talk a little bit about your workflow and uh, what hardware or typewriter model are you using over there? Uh, I use um, a variety of things. I, I uh, have these systems that I've developed over time, you know, over 20 years or so of trying to, to write. Um, I have big sketchbooks that I use for outlining. I like to be able to scribble and draw lines and see the whole outline on one page, you know, not, not across many little pages. Mm. Um, I do all my drafting on yellow legal pads. I never, ever write uh, first drafts on the computer. For some reason, I just can't do it. I use uh, a lot of sticky notes. I have a whiteboard in my office. Um, I use PowerPoint for storyboarding, too. You can arrange all your PowerPoint slides into these tiles that will spread across your whole screen, and you can get a whole a sense for the flow, a sort of map of your, of your whole uh, project. Wow, that sounds cool. So, um, are, are oh, you also one, one last thing? Yeah, this has been a big change for me. My iPhone, my iPhone has been, a, has been a great thing because I carry it around with me and I, and I'm constantly, uh, dictating notes into it, dictating my ideas into it, uh, in the way that people used to carry around, you know, little notepads, but I can be out, you know, taking a run or something. I get that idea and mm. I'm able to dictate it directly into the phone, uh, right there on the spot. That's, that's been a big, that's been a big thing for me. Yeah. So then are you, are you using a Mac actually to, to get the words? No, I don't. I use, uh, I use, I, I use a PC, uh, Microsoft word. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, 
so it sounds like you've got quite a few organizational hacks that you're working with over there. Um, do you have any other best practices for kind of beating procrastination? Um, this, this may sound like, I don't mean for this to sound like smug or something like that, but that, that's just never been my problem. You know, I've never had to develop a hack to deal with procrastination because I've never been tempted to procrastinate. You know, I don't think I have any great genius or any great talent as a writer aside possibly from, you know, desire and uh, tenacity. And so most mornings when I work up, wake up, the number one thing I want to be doing is writing. Um, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just not tempted, uh, to procrastinate. So I don't really have, uh, advice, uh, on that subject because it's never been a, a problem that I've had to confront. Very nice. So how do you unplug at the end of a, a long day? Drugs. I, uh, I have a medicinal dose of old crow Kentucky bourbon. <laughs> um, I use that to sort of club my gibbering jabbering, uh, brain into senselessness and get it to shut up. And, uh, yeah, that's what I do. Thanks for joining me for the first half of this tour through the writer's process. The second part will be published next week. And if you enjoy the writer files podcast, do me a favor and please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review to help other writers find us for more episodes or to simply leave a comment or a question, just drop by writerfiles.fm. And if you're looking for another excellent podcast, check out Editor-in-Chief. That's Stephanie Flaxman's Art of Writing, updated for marketing in the digital age. And that's over at editorinchief.fm. You can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.